Thank you for being here today. If this is your first time here, I want to give a special welcome to you. You chose a great day to be at Crosspoint. We are wrapping up our series called Coming Home. We've been looking at Jesus' most famous parable called the parable of the prodigal son is what it's usually called. But as we've seen, as we've been going through the parable, we know that it's really a story about two sons and a father. And so every week, every week we've been looking at a different part of the story. And today we're going to look at um, one of the most important parts of the story. And I just realized that I came up too soon because I was going to have someone else read the text. Uh, but I'll read it myself since uh, I'm up here now. Um, I'm going to be reading from Luke 15, beginning in verse 1, but we're also going to be covering the first couple parables leading up to the most famous parable. And this will be the first time we've looked at these two parables. But really, they're all supposed to be read as one cohesive story, uh, as one parable. So uh, please follow along with me in your Bibles if you have them. We're reading from Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. And I'll be reading from the NIV. This is, what it's, this is what we read. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. And that's Jesus, of course. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. And the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And I'm going to pause here and just remind you, Jesus then goes into the parable of the lost son. Starts with the lost sheep, goes to the lost coin, and he finishes this amazing uh, series of parables with the parable of the lost son. And I want to pick the story up. In verse 22 now, we're going to jump down to verse 22 after the son has come home. And this is what the father, this is what happens. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I want to just ask you, did you notice a pattern there? Did you notice a pattern in these parables. Let me imagine your friend had a brother who, over the years, uh, because of his bad choices and habits, had built up a, a lot of debt and caused the family a lot of harm and pain. And no one has even seen this brother for a year. Then one afternoon, you get a call from your friend. And she tells you, please, will you come over to my house tonight for a party? My brother showed up in the driveway this afternoon. And she's pleading with you to come to this party to celebrate his homecoming. I'll bet some of you would have some questions. They'd be like, what about questions? What about all the debt? What about all the pain? What about the addiction? 
You might think it would be too early for a party. You might suggest your friend wait a few weeks, right? It would be too early for a party if you were focused on the brother's past behavior, wouldn't it? And I want to tell you that God doesn't wait for people to prove themselves before he rejoices over finding them. God does not wait for people to prove themselves before he rejoices over finding them. I heard a story once about a pastor who was speaking at a conference. It was, uh, I think it was in Hawaii, and uh, he was speaking at this conference, and uh, he's experiencing jet lag, so he's having trouble sleeping that night. And so he he went out into the community, he went to a, a local cafe or diner. It was the only one that was open. It was like three in the morning or something like that. And he's sitting down at this diner, and after a while, uh, some local prostitutes came in, and he figured that out after a while because of what they were talking about, what they were wearing, and things like that. And he started just kind of listening in on their conversation, and he discovered uh, one, of the, one of the prostitutes, her name was Agnes. No, she wasn't 80-something years old, but her name was Agnes. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. And she was talking about the fact that it was her birthday tomorrow, And she happened to mention that she'd never had a birthday party before to her friend. And so they were sitting, and then they left. And this pastor, whose name was Tony, uh, asked the cafe owner, whose name was Harry, "Um, do these women come in regularly? Are they regulars? He said, oh, yep, they're here about at 3.30 every single morning. And so he decided, this pastor Tony decided, that he was going to throw Agnes a birthday party. And he asked Harry if it'd be all right if he you know, spread the word and that he would get all the supplies and he would take care of everything and if it would be okay if they had a birthday party right here at this cafe. And he's like, sure, I guess, why not, you know? And so the next morning, uh, about, at about 3.15, this cafe was filled with prostitutes and Tony and Harry and his wife. And Agnes sh- showed up right about 3.30 like she always did And everyone yelled out, happy birthday, Agnes. And there were streamers and balloons and there was a cake and everything. And Agnes broke down crying at the sight of this. She'd never had a birthday party in her entire life. And Harry asked, Agnes, would you like to cut the cake? And Agnes said, would it be all right if I just took the cake home to show my mom? And so she took the cake. She never even cut it. She took it, left the cafe And uh, the pastor, Tony, he led everyone in prayer for Agnes. And while they were, everyone, he hung around for a while, and um, eventually Harry asked uh, Tony what he did for a living. Why would you do something like this? He mentioned, I'm a pastor. And this kind of shocked Harry, the cafe owner. And he's like, what kind of church do you pastor? And he said, the kind that throws a birthday party for prostitutes. And Harry said to him, if there's really a church like that, I would go there. That's the church I would go to. Now, let me ask you this. <laughs> Was that woman worth celebrating? Agnes. Does she deserve a birthday party? God thinks so. I mean, that pastor gets it. He understands who God is. Are we the kind of church that would do something like that. We, we were just talking recently in our um, 
in one of our leadership meetings about the building use policy. I had to think about that as I was preparing for today. Like, if, a, if we knew that, that someone was a prostitute and they asked us if they could use our facility for a birthday party, would we let them use our church to throw a birthday party for one of their friends? And that brings us to what is maybe the most important question driving all of these stories from Jesus. The religious leaders were stumped by this question. Many of us have wrestled with this question before. And the question is, why would Jesus spend himself on people like that? Why go to such great lengths to rescue people whose lives are clearly messed up? Why would you associate yourself with the people no one else wants, the people who society would say are losers? Aimless, reckless, self-destructive people. And the answer is found at the end of all three parables. First, the shepherd. He has a hundred sheep. One of them goes astray. He leaves the 99 in the open field, exposed probably, to find the one that's lost. And when he finds it, he rejoices. He goes home. He calls his friends. He gets everyone together and they have this big party. And then there's the woman. She has 10 coins. She loses one. The coins would have been uh, valued at about one day's wage. And she loses one coin. She finally finds it. And when she does, she calls together her friends and neighbors and they celebrate. And finally, the lost son, he comes home. The father showers him with gifts and throws the biggest, most expensive party of his life. So why does Jesus go to such great lengths to rescue people like this? The answer is Joy. It's joy. This is the, the, all of heaven rejoices, we're told, when even one sinner turns to God for forgiveness. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says this in verse 2, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what is the joy set before Jesus? It's people. It's people who are far from God. Jesus looks forward to the day when he will gather his people together and they will be in the Father's presence as a family forever with no more sin, no more shame. In the presence of God, glorifying God, praising the name of God for all of eternity. That's the joy set before Jesus. Whenever a sinner repents, there's so much joy in heaven that it's compared with a father receiving a son home who he thought was dead. I mean, you've all seen the videos of of, uh, a soldier who comes home to his wife and kids after, you know, a long, dangerous deployment. And when this son comes home, it's the greatest day of the father's life. That's what happens every time someone wakes up to the reality of God. God in all of heaven rejoices. They celebrate. And God rejoices not because all of our problems have been solved, not because our lives are all cleaned up and we're back on track, not because thousands or even hundreds of sinners have suddenly come to their senses and a new movement has started. No, God rejoices because one sinner has repented and and turned to God for mercy. Will I do the same? That's the question Jesus wants us to to wrestle with. Will I rejoice the way God does when even one sinner comes home to him? Will I find that much joy in one sinner being rescued by God, being reconciled 
to the Father. Because God is a Father who wants everyone to repent. He wants heaven to be full. He wants to spread his joy everywhere. He's not keeping his joy all to himself. He wants everyone to experience this joy that he has. When a new life has begun. And we need that joy more now than ever, don't we? We need this joy. We need to experience the Father's joy. This past week we've been hearing about just how bad and twisted and violent and unstable our hopeless world is. In fact, I saw this picture on Facebook recently. It says the world's not safe anymore. You see all the, all the dead bolts and padlocks on that door? If you go to Crosspoint and you post something on Facebook, you better be careful. Your pastor might use it in a sermon the next day. And this is the reaction that many of us kind of feel, right? When we hear about the things that are going on in our world. Our world isn't safe anymore. And it's true, but really the, the truth is, is has it ever been safe? It's never been safe. Ever since sin entered the world, it's never been safe. It's never been safe. But sometimes we're reminded of just how unsafe it is. Sometimes it becomes personal. Sometimes it's like in our face. And we realize just how unstable things are. We realize just how evil people are. And sometimes it feels like God has forgotten about us. Doesn't it? Or at least we hear from people that maybe God has forgotten about it. Maybe God isn't here anymore. How could he be with all this evil that's going on in the world around us. And the reason that we get together every single Sunday is really simply to remember who God is and what he said and what he's done and what he's going to do. And so I just want to remind you this morning that God is making all things new. Even now, even in the midst of chaos, God is at work. He has not forgotten about us. He has not forsaken us. We're told by Jesus that, that uh, in the world you will face trouble, but I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus said. The world is going to get worse, my friends. It is. But a new day is coming. A new dawn is coming. Jesus Christ is going to show up one day. The, the sky will be rolled back like a scroll. Jesus is going to descend. He's going to bring heaven with him. And this world is going to be redeemed. And we are going to be redeemed. And we're going to see Jesus. And we're going to be made like him. And everything's going to be made new. Jesus is going to finish. God is going to finish what he started when he raised Jesus from the dead. And that's what we look forward to. Okay, we're not, we're not here to, we're, we're, not look, we're not trying to, say, to protect ourselves from everything or, or to save ourselves. Okay, we know that, that evil men and imposters will go from, and people who deceive, they're going to go from bad to worse. But many people will come back to God and be rescued. God has not forsaken us. He has not forgotten about us. I know it feels that way at times. But one day we will be in God's presence. We will be radiant. We will be full of joy. There will be no more chaos. No more tears. God's going to make all things new. You don't have to have money to have joy. You don't have to have nice things to have joy. You don't have to be successful or well-educated to have joy. You, can be, you, can, you don't have to be healthy even to have joy. 
You can be simple, you can be poor, you can be struggling and have the one thing most people in this world lack, and that is the joy of knowing the Father. That's the joy I'm talking about. That's the joy the world cannot take away from you. Nobody can take that away from you. Everything else can be taken from you, just so you know. You can lose everything else. You cannot lose the joy of the Father. You cannot lose the presence of God our Father. He will never leave you or forsake you. And some of us can easily get caught up in, you know, newspaper news or social media news and, uh, and reactions and things like that. And uh, we can get swept away thinking, you know, God has forgotten about his world, but nothing could be further from the truth. There are hidden treasures all around us. There is hidden joy all around us. God is working. He's healing. He's restoring. He's making all things new. The prophet Isaiah, in the, prophet, uh, the book of the prophet Isaiah, verse, uh, chapter 43, 18, God said this to his people, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Later in the New Testament, God said this to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He kind of sums up what he's saying. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Now, right now. God rejoices every single time a sinner comes home and turns to him for forgiveness and he recreates them. He recreates them. They are born again in the language of Jesus. He changes them. He changes their affections. He changes their desires. He changes their priorities. He changes their attitude. I'll be honest, he doesn't change everything about them. When we are recreated into the image of Christ, not everything in our life changes. <laughs> our relationships might not change right away. Our circumstances might not change. There might be a lot of things God doesn't change about you, but I'll tell you what he does change about you, your identity. Your identity completely changes. You go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. You are reborn into God's family as a child of God, a beloved child of God. And that, my friends, is worth celebrating. That's what I'm trying to say this morning. That is worth celebrating. Anytime someone is reborn into spiritually, we are supposed to rejoice and celebrate every single time. When people announce they are expecting a new baby, what do they do? They, it's a celebration. They send cards everywhere. They put, put it on social media it, when, even now, nowadays, they celebrate the gender when, when that's revealed. There's, there's parties now. They didn't even do that when I was having kids. Um, and, so there's, and we've been to those parties. They're really fun. And it's, I'm not saying you shouldn't celebrate that. I'm just saying it's worth celebrating. When someone becomes engaged, they want to announce their engagement, you know, they found the love of their life, they're going to get married, they celebrate that. We, we, it's worth celebrating. You should celebrate that. When a soldier comes home after a long, dangerous deployment, even after the family thought he or she was dead, that's worth celebrating. But none of that compares with what God does in the heart of a man or woman or child who was once lost but now is found. I remember, it must have been at least five or six years ago, our oldest daughter, Brooke, one night, 
And, and she had, you know, she, my kids, like many of you, just like Dave was sharing last week, I, you know, grew up in the church, um, were at church, you know, multiple times a week and all of that, you know, and she's been in the Iwana program and, and she, she's heard the gospel many times and memorized lots of Bible verses, but we had never really seen any uh, really transform, true transformation in her life. And one night, my wife was talking to her about something and all of a sudden she was just broken in her spirit over her sin. It was totally from God, we believe, and God brought her to a place where she was, was broken over her sin and repentant and she wanted, she desperately wanted God and, to, and my wife led her in a prayer to, um, to put her faith in Jesus, to forgive her for her sins when she was about eight, I want to say. And that happened, it just happened. We didn't plan it. We didn't manipulate it. It just kind of happened. And we were so excited about it. And it wasn't just, it didn't just happen out of nowhere. In fact, I'm remembering now that I had a conversation with Phil the week bef- that, maybe a week before that. And the elders had been praying for my family and that week. Uh, it had been going through um, everyone in the church every week and just pl- praying for a group of families. And Phil prayed for Brooke that week, earlier, that God would do something in her heart. And he told me that after the fact, and I remember just breaking down. I couldn't believe it. It, was, it, was, it wasn't a coincidence. And it was, I really believe this was God's work in her heart. And so we decided to celebrate that. We had a party. We had our friends and family over. And some of you were there. We sang, we sang together. We praised God together. We prayed for Brooke. We had, I think we might have even had a cake. We gave, her a, we gave her a cross as a gift just to remember that day. We wrote the date on it because we thought it was appropriate. We thought it was appropriate to have a party. And I think we were right. Not that we're always right. I'm just saying, if you're ever going to have a party, that's when you should do it. When one of your kids decides to follow Jesus. When one of your friends decides to follow Jesus. When your brother who's dragged the family, you know, the family name through the mud comes home and decides to follow Jesus. Is there ever a more appropriate time to have a party? And guess what? A few weeks later, uh, I, I think it was, or, or at least later that year, so she was baptized. She was, I got to baptize her in our church. And baptism is what we're supposed to do to celebrate God's gift of new life. I don't know if you knew that before, what, what baptism is all about. That's what baptism is for. It's to celebrate the new life that God has breathed into you. Or someone you know. That's what baptism is for. To, to celebrate and recognize what God has done in your life. This new thing that God has done. I want to share with you a verse from the book of Romans that talks about this. Romans chapter 6 verse 3 and 4 says this. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father... We too might have a new life. Now that verse talks about baptism in the spiritual sense, but it also kind of points us to the physical act of baptism, which is a symbol of this spiritual reality that Paul writes about in Romans chapter 6. In other words, baptism represents the new life God has given you. So when you are in the water, for example, and you are lowered into the water, do you know what that represents? That represents you being buried Dead and buried with Christ. In his, it represents your union with Christ. 
your union with Christ. So you are, it, that's what it represents. You're buried and dead with Christ in baptism, and you're raised up. When you come back out of the water, it represents that newness, that new life that, that 2 Corinthians 5 talked about. The old has gone, the new has come. You were once dead, now you're alive. That's what it's about. That's baptism. And God thinks that your new life is worth celebrating, and so do we. And I'm going to do something different today. I'm going to bring up a a really good friend, uh, Linda. She's going to come up. She's been looking forward to this all week. (laughs) I'm teasing. She hasn't been. She's, but she's, she's, she was uh, agreed to do this for us, and I'm going to ask her a couple of questions. Linda, why don't you come over here and just have a seat and take that. Uh, so Linda was, has been coming to our church for many years now uh, with her kids, and a few years ago she was baptized. So Linda, when you were baptized here a few years ago, was that the first time you were baptized? Um, no, I was baptized as a baby. Okay. And so, and w- is that a different church, right? Yeah, Lutheran. Okay, Lutheran church. And so why did you decide to get baptized again? Um, I, uh, I, <laughs> I hate it's doing okay. this. It's okay. Okay, well, because I knew what God had done in my life was real, and it was amazing, and, uh, um, and I wanted to be obedient. It's okay. You're doing fine. You're doing fine. Did you have any doubts or concerns or reservations about going through with it? Um, I knew I had to get up on the stage and give my testimony. So that was like a big roadblock for me. So that was my concern, one okay. of my concerns. And I also didn't really have a support system behind me, like as far as family or so I knew they'd all think I was kind of crazy because I had already been baptized as a baby. So, yeah. Okay. Was there any point during the process, like the, from the time you decided to get baptized to the morning uh, that you got baptized, was there any point where you were like, I might not do it? No. No, you were going to do it the whole time. So when you were actually baptized in the, in the, the tank, the tub that morning, what did it feel like when you... We're brought back up out of the water. What was that like? Huge relief. A relief from, like, what do you mean? Relief, like, I finally took the step. I was finally, went through with it, and I got my family that I could bring, and they were here to see it, and I was mm-hmm. able to give my testimony, and I didn't, like, die on the way, so I did <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, that's, uh, okay. Um, do you think that you getting baptized had any kind of influence or impact on your kids? Yes, because they saw that I was obedient, and they know how much I hate doing this kind of thing. And, and God has made such amazing change in my life, and he is just, he changed my heart, made me brand new, and I had to do this. And it was a big, this is not my comfortable thing to do, and mm-hmm. I was glad to do it. And then since then, you change it, and you do video, you record people ahead of time. I, if I would have known, I might have waited for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost because of Linda that we made that change. We got the... And your kids have since been baptized too, both of them? Yes, they have, because okay. right after that, they were like, wow, I want to be baptized. So. Okay, that's cool. Okay. What would you say to someone who might be on the fence about getting baptized as an adult now? 
just do it. If you've given your life to Christ and he's made an amazing change in your life like he has mine, just do it. Just be obedient. And I mean, the people that came to me afterwards to tell me, wow, that your, your story, your um, encouraged me or whatever, if you can make a difference, that's the only reason I'm up here because I know God wants to use, if he can, use my story to further his king- kingdom and just do it. Be obedient and you'll, be, you'll never be sad that you did it. You'll never be like, oh, why did I do that? Why did I get... Never, never, not a chance. Thank you so much. That Praise it? God. Yep, okay. that's it. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Linda. She could not wait to get off the stage. I can just tell you, I know, that's, that's just no. I'm so thankful that she was willing to do that. Okay, um, here's what I want to ask you to do today. And this is really important to me. It's important to Linda. It's important to us as a church. We've been kind of moving towards something in this series the last five weeks, okay? And this is sort of the point, Okay. We want you to start a relationship with God, if you haven't already. We want you to experience God's power and presence in your life. And I know that many of you have. I know there's a lot of you who have been coming to our church for the last few weeks or few months, and you've told me or shown me that God is doing something new in your life. And I, so I want to challenge you, now that we're here at the end, to take this step. And I know that there are some of you who have reservations, and I'm not saying you shouldn't. Some of you, like Linda, were baptized as a baby. And we believe that your parents did a good thing when they did that. However, we also believe that your parents probably never considered your infant baptism a complete thing. In other words, your parents, when they baptized you, were looking forward to the day when you would choose to follow Jesus. Okay? You see what I'm saying? They were looking forward to the day when you would make that choice for yourself to follow Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus, and to be made new. So, when you do that, when you turn to Jesus and start a relationship with him, there is no better way to celebrate that than getting baptized, than choosing to be baptized yourself. Okay, that's what we believe the scripture teaches. Also, we don't believe that baptism saves a person. In other words, just, we don't believe there's any special grace given to a person because of the actual water that you're dipped into. Okay, we believe that that grace is given through the Holy Spirit, through a person trusting in Jesus with their whole heart. So we don't believe baptism saves a person or makes them right with God. We believe it's an act of obedience that demonstrates or displays what God has done in your life. It's, it's something we like to call gospel theater. It puts, the, it puts God on display This is representing who I used to be. This is representing who I am now. Life with Christ, in Christ, together with, (laughs) I am in God's family now. That's what it's all about. And so, um, if you were baptized as an infant and you feel weird about being baptized again, I just want to assure you, it's not weird to us. We do it all the time. There's so many people in our church who've been baptized as an adult who were baptized as an infant, and they're doing it because God has, has done something new in their life, and they've chosen to follow Jesus. And now they're choosing to be baptized because that's what Jesus commanded us to do. The other objection you might have is, well, but my faith is a private thing. It's a private thing. It's really between me and God. I don't feel comfortable uh, putting this on display or doing this in public. My family's going to think I'm weird, you know, things like that. But that actually concerns me, okay? As a pastor, that really concerns me. And maybe I can explain it this way. There's a lot of things I could say. 
But let me just explain it this way. Imagine you are dating a guy and you're starting to get serious, but you don't want to tell anybody about this guy. Like you're not putting it on Facebook or any kind of social media. You don't want anyone in your family to know. Uh, but you're serious with this guy, but no, you don't want anybody to know about it. That would concern me. There's something not right there. Because if you really love this guy and he really loves you and you don't have any concerns about the future, why wouldn't you tell everybody about it? Why wouldn't you want everybody to know? Why wouldn't you put it on, you know, why wouldn't you just, you know, want to make it Facebook official and all of that kind of stuff? You would. And if you're not ashamed of Jesus, he's not ashamed of you. And if you're not ashamed of him, there's no way your faith could be private. It just can't be. The nature of faith, the kind of faith that we promote in Jesus Christ is not private. It's very public. It has to be part, part of everything. You know, an integral part of your life. You live it out. People know. People you know should know about your faith because it matters to you. Because Jesus has changed your life. And so there's really not much private about it. And maybe you're wondering, well, what does this all look like? How does this go down? Well, we're not going to embarrass you or make you do anything you don't really want to do. Honestly, we won't. Um, we do ask you to share your story. We record it and then we show it so you don't have to speak in front of people. Um, if you really weren't comfortable doing that, it would be okay too. But we think that your story is a gift from God that he wants you to share. Just a couple minutes about what God has done in your life, how he has, how you, once you were lost and now you're found. That's really what it is just to celebrate what God has done in your life so that we can celebrate with you and get to know you a little bit. And then there's, there, there will be a big tub full of warm water uh, right up here somewhere on the stage on a Sunday morning, uh, November 5th actually, in four weeks from today we're going to do this. And someone, and it might be me or Pastor Scott or one of the other, or, or you know, Phil or John or maybe your small group leader or the person who led you to faith in Christ, um, the Bible doesn't really give us clear mandates on who should baptize you. So we want that someone to be. We want it to be someone who's had a spiritual influence in your life to baptize you, to lower you into the water, and then right before you think you're going to drown, we'll bring you back up. <laughs> Actually, it's only about three seconds. We'll bring you back up out of the water, and we are all going to celebrate with you in that moment. And it'll be a moment you'll never forget for the rest of your life. And it's one of the most exciting things I, that I, we get to do here, that I get to do as a pastor, is be part of the baptism services are like the most exciting services to me. And people bring their families and their friends, and we get to celebrate God together. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. This is about God. This is about what God has done to bring his wayward children home. And that's why it's so important to us. That's why it's so significant and if you're wondering why it's appropriate and important to celebrate this new life in baptism, I'll just sum it up for you. You were dead but are alive. You were lost but now you're found. You can finally make peace with your past. You have a new purpose for living. You have a new hope for the future. You belong to a new kind of family as a child of God. And God and all of heaven are celebrating your new life. And we want to join. That's what baptism is about. So I want to encourage you to take that step today. And here's how I'm going to encourage you to do it. In your insert this morning, there's a card that looks like this. 
it says baptism, take your step. Sunday, November 5th, 2017, we're going to do it right on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. And on the back, it says, it has, gives you two choices. And I would, if you haven't been, if you have never chosen to be baptized, then I want to challenge you to make that choice. If God is working in your life and, and you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you want to talk with someone about baptism and you have questions or reservations, go ahead and mark the first one. And we'll connect you with one of our pastors or someone who can sit down and talk with you and help you make this decision a more informed decision. But maybe you're ready. Maybe you know that this is what God wants you to do. Then go ahead and mark the second box. And then please put your name and your, just give us a way to contact you so that we can help you get ready. In a couple weeks, we're going to have a, uh, a one session on a Sunday morning um, here at church. And we're going to walk you through everything you need to know. We're going to ask you some questions and, uh, so that you're prepared for November 5th when we do this as a church. And that's it. And then we're going to do it. And it's going to be awesome. And we're really looking forward to celebrating that with you as a church. So I would ask you to prayerfully consider um, marking this card. And then in the back, I forgot to mention, Andrew, could you get up and point out that box to people right there at, the, at that table in the back, that little brown box that has a cross on it? Right there. You can just stick your card right in there. It's locked and only I have the key to that box. So it's just between you and me right now. And, um, and I'll follow up with you soon. If you have any questions or want to talk or you're ready, we're ready to, to celebrate with you. So um, we're going to close in prayer. We're going to close the service, and I'm going to give you the benediction. So please join me in prayer. Our Father God, we thank you for uh, who you are. We thank you for everything you've done for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, that you have told us stories to teach us about you, to teach us about your character so that we can know you for who you really are, not for who we've imagined you to be. We thank you, God, that you are faithful to your promises and that every time a sinner turns to you for new life, you give it. You'd never turn us away. When we turn to you humbly and ask for mercy, you always give it to us more than we deserve, more than we ask for. You give us new life and you change us forever. I ask, God, that you would give those people who are are struggling this morning courage today to take this step, to obey the words of Jesus and to choose baptism for themselves, to make a statement, to go public with their faith, to recognize what you've done in their life so that we can celebrate with them as a church family. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Before I give you the benediction this morning, I just want to tell you a quick... uh, little story. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was asked, and you've been hearing about this last couple weeks, about our Awana program. Every Friday night from 6.30 to 8.30, we have about anywhere between 125 and 150 kids come here. And this is, we just for two hours, they have fun. They hear about Jesus. They hear the gospel. They uh, get to know each other. It's a safe and fun environment. And um, the people who put this on, every, they know, they've been doing it a long time. They do a really good job. And a couple weeks ago, they asked me to come share uh, the message of Jesus with the kids. And they gave me this great kind of visual to explain what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so I went ahead and did it. And, uh, and then I asked for a response from the kids. And, and we had 27 kids get up and say that they wanted 
to start a relationship with God and receive his forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. 27 kids. I was blown away. And we want to praise God for doing, for, for that, first of all. But then we had a, a couple come, and, um, and we had a couple. They don't normally serve in Awana, but they came that night just to spend time with those kids. And they were totally overwhelmed. I mean, they each had 12. One of them had like 12 kids or 13. The other one, and they, it was just, it was almost too many. It was like they couldn't really have the conversations and take, you know. And so all of that to say, there are a lot of kids coming to our Awana program right now that are ready to start a relationship with God. And they need someone in their life, a mentor, a leader, someone to come alongside them every week and encourage them and help them along in their relationship with God. And we don't have enough people <laughs> right now. We just don't have enough. And it's an exciting time to be part of that program because of what God is doing. I mean, there's kids coming from all over these neighborhoods here. There's new kids coming every week. And some kids are coming and they've never heard about what Jesus has done for them. And so it's a really cool pl- thing to be a part of right now. And I just wanted to remind you one more time that we need more leaders. We need more volunteers to come on Friday nights and just be there with the kids, be a godly example, have fun with them, and encourage them in their faith. That's, that's all we're asking for. So if you're interested in being part of what's going on in Awana, uh, you could talk to uh, Melissa, who's sitting right here. You could talk to Don. Um, talk to one of them, and um, we'll get you, we can get you plugged in. So please rise for the benediction. The benediction this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 25. And here's what our Lord says. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Amen. You are dismissed.